0: Welcome to Beaver Lodge Alliance's Sermon Podcast. We're so glad to join you. This is the latest sermon. We pray that you would receive encouragement, exhortation, and that Jesus would speak to you through this sermon. Enjoy. Well, last week, I think it was last week, we had, what, minus 40 temperature, and we had... uh, We had a decent showing last week, which I was surprised by, and today we've had kind of 40 inches of snow. And so that works out well, but we still have a a decent showing in person, which is fantastic. Uh, And those of you that are joining us online, we're so excited that we have this option uh, for people to join us online. So welcome. It's exciting. Well, today is a good day indeed, and uh, we are certainly, I, I talk to farmers often and they say, Um, snow is better than rain, and so we're thankful for the snow. It helps to moisturize the the land uh, come spring, so we're thankful for this. God is giving us a gift today. It might make it difficult to move around a little bit or find our vehicles, but it is a gift, so we thank God for it. Well, for those of you that are internet savvy, um, have you seen the Be Like Bill memes that have gone around in the last couple of years? If you're not internet savvy, memes are little cartoons that are posted on social media. And the Be Like Bill memes look something kind of like what you see up on the screen right now. And here's how it goes Bill is on the internet. Bill sees something that offends him. Bill moves on. Bill is smart. Be Like Bill. So there are all these kind of little memes that uh, have come out. And there's, they, they're called different things Be Like Bill, or Be Like Bob, or Be Like Sarah. And usually they encourage people to live their life and not get all caught up in other people's drama, which is fantastic. If only we could all be like Bill. Well, Bill is not really a a hero for us to really try to live up to, but Bill reminded me about another thing that I remember that happened when I was in youth group. You've likely heard the acronym WWJD. It stands for, What Would Jesus Do? And it was big when I was back in youth group. We all had the WWJD bracelets that we wore um, and the WWJD t-shirts and WWJD stickers that we stuck on all of our uh, notebooks that we took to school with us. And it reminded us to ask the question, What would Jesus do in whatever situation we found ourselves in? The desire was to, to be like Jesus. Now, be like Bill, that sounds like a great idea, but really, let's raise the bar a little bit here. Let's be like Jesus. Be like Jesus is a great slogan, but what does it really mean? You see, we, we, can't, we can't say be like Jesus or WWJD um, and just kind of say it. Just be like Jesus, WWJD. Sermon's done, let's all go home. We can't really say that, because sadly, many people nowadays don't know what Jesus would do if he were in the situations that we find ourselves. Jesus has actually gotten a really bad rap as of late, and many people have a, a large under, misunderstanding about what Jesus would do. A couple of years ago, a young Christian man named, by the name of uh, Casey Schultes living in Georgia, was wearing the WWJD bracelet at his college, and one of his friends asked him what the bracelet stood for, and Casey replied, what would Jesus do? But then Casey had this thought. He froze in his tracks, and he had this thought, oh no, what if my friend asks me, well, what would Jesus do? And Casey found that he did not have an answer for that question. Well, how would you answer that question? We're beginning a series called Be Like Jesus, where we're going to answer that question. What would Jesus do? We're going to be asking, asking ourselves the question, what did Jesus do, and what real intentionable, intentional and actionable difference does that make in how I live my life today? What did Jesus do? And what real, intentional, and actionable difference does that make in how I live my life today? Since time began, people have grappled with their understanding of God. Religion is man's attempt to understand a a God, understand a God that, that has revealed himself to us in both an actionable and practical way. But religion is a funny thing. While it's meant to facilitate our experience and understanding of God, it can also highly complicate it as well. And that's partially why we have something that's called the deconstruction movement today. Have you heard of the deconstruction movement? It's a movement where people are asking hard questions of their faith and their practice, and they're kind of trying to deconstruct the things that we do in religion. People have always had to grapple with their understanding of God and religion, and, and sorry, people have always had to grapple with their understanding of God and their understanding of religion, and today is no exception. It's actually a sign of spiritual maturity to be able to look at our faith and ask the hard questions, including the question, why do we do? what we do, and should we be doing the things that we're doing? The deconstruction movement is not a bad movement. It's a movement that takes a hard look at all areas of faith and religion in an attempt to get down to the core of what we are all about. And that's what we're attempting to do in this series as well. We want to take a look at what Jesus did. See how that can be applied in our lives, and then be like Jesus. If you're testing your faith today, if you're going through some deconstructing of your faith and your practices, if you're asking hard questions and doing the the hard work of questioning the rituals and the things that you believe in, then this is the series for you. Let's ask those questions together. Jesus was not afraid of questions. Most of the things that happen through the Gospels is because someone asked a really good question. So let's dig into the life of Jesus and then reconstruct in a practical and actionable way together. My encouragement to you if you're in the middle of deconstruction is that you do it intentionally and not just burn everything down. Deconstruct so that you can reconstruct so that you can rebuild your faith on a more solid ground. Which brings us back to the question that's before us. WWJD, what would Jesus do? There's this great passage in Matthew chapter 28 called the Great Commission, and it goes like this. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, Teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Now this is an important passage of scripture, which is often quoted, especially as we are sending missionaries out. You, you can see it in lots of churches. We don't have it on our walls, but lots of churches have it up on their walls somewhere. They've got it maybe over the door as you're leaving, so you can see that verse as you're walking out the door, and you'd be like, Yes, I'm gonna go into the world and make disciples of all nations, and I'm gonna teach them everything that that Jesus commanded us to teach. It's an inspirational and wonderful passage of Scripture. But let's ask the obvious question that should come up at this moment as we read this question or read this passage. Listen to this again. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Look at that last part, just the last part of that passage teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. Have you ever stopped to ask the question, what did Jesus command? If we're supposed to do everything, if we're supposed to teach everything that Jesus commanded, what did Jesus command? Well, I did some searching and also some Googling, which is really fun when you're trying to figure out some of these types of things. And on the internet, you can find all kinds of lists of things that Jesus commanded. It's amazing how many different commands people have come up with. You can find a short list. One of the shortest lists I found is 49 commands that Jesus commanded in the New Testament. One of the longest lists I found was a list of 1,050 things that Jesus commanded oof right? Now, if you're kind of like into those things where you like make paintings and pictures for your wall, you probably don't want to have a list of a thousand and fifty things that Jesus commanded to you. That would be very difficult. But some of those commands come out of like Matthew chapters five through seven, uh, where we see the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says a lot of fantastic things in that passage. Uh, one of the things he says is he says, uh, don't break any of the commandments." He doubles down on, on some of the laws that are written in the Old Testament, like the law on murdering. He says, It's not okay just, just not to murder. Jesus says, if you, if you even hate your brother or call him a fool, you're going to be in for judgment. Jesus doubles down on a lot of the commandments, taking them further than they would have been taken before. Jesus also teaches in that, that those short chapters, Jesus teaches his people how to pray how to fast, and other related things. There's other places in the Gospels where Jesus teaches his disciples how to heal, how to cast out demons, how to serve one another. It's safe to say that Jesus teaches his disciples a lot of things throughout the Gospels. The the Gospels are chock full of really good teachings. But what did Jesus command us to do? Teach them to obey everything I have commanded, Jesus said. Now, this might be splitting hairs a little bit, but I looked through the Gospels, and did you know, the word command, like, hardly shows up at all. There are only two things in all of the Gospels that Jesus commanded his disciples to do. Two things. And you likely are starting to think about what those two things are. Jesus didn't say, I command you to fast. Jesus didn't say, I command you to pray. Though Jesus certainly taught his disciples to do those things, and they're good things for us to do. No, as you read through the Gospels, there are only two things that Jesus commanded. And it's interesting, in the Gospels of Matthew and Mark and Luke, they all record a conversation that happens where Jesus gives out these two commandments. And so I'm going to read you the passage out of Matthew. Matthew. Now to set this passage up, Jesus is debating the religious leaders. The Sadducee sect of religious leaders have just presented a question to Jesus and he answered it wisely, very well. So then the Pharisees, they go, okay, it's our turn. We're going to try to to put a question before Jesus that will trip him up in what what he's doing. We want to try to trip Jesus up so the Pharisees come forward with a question and here is their question in Matthew chapter 22. Now, the question was designed to trip up Jesus. If Jesus said one commandment was, great, was the greatest, then the Pharisees would have said, well, what about all the other commandments? In fact, the Jewish people will tell you that they have a 613 commandments that they've brought forward from the Old Testament. 613 commandments from the Law and the Prophets. So out of these 613, Jesus, which is the greatest? Now, We're not going to go through all 613 this morning, but I want to show you something. So, we're going to actually take the Ten Commandments from Exodus chapter 20 and just want you to briefly look at these so that you can get an understanding of what Jesus does here, because he answers in a very wise and amazing way. So, look at these. These are the Ten Commandments from Exodus chapter 20. They are You shall have no other gods before me, you shall not make yourself an idol, you shall not take the Lord's name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Honor your mother and father. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not lie. And you shall not covet your neighbor's house. Now here's the interesting thing. These 10 commandments, along with the other 603 commandments that are brought forward from the Old Testament, fall into two categories. It's amazing. Jesus sums them up really well. The first category is the commandments that deal with our relationship with God. So it's this relationship, this vertical relationship between us and God. It's the first three commandments. They all deal with God. And the second category is the commandments that deal with our relationship with other people. It's this horizontal plane. It's the, it's the commandments that all deal with the other people that are around us. Now, commandment number four, honor the Sabbath, is the bridge commandment that falls into both categories, both dealing with our relationship with God, and dealing with our relationship with others. So look how Jesus answers the question to the religious leader. Matthew chapter 22. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. You see, this covers that whole first category Every commandment from the Old Testament that has to deal with our relationship with God is answered in this one. Love the Lord your God. <clears throat> It's not that it really moved me or anything like that. <clears throat> Something just popped right into my throat. Just process it for a moment. There you go. <clears throat> Ooh. Appreciate that, Dave. Thank you. So this is how Jesus answers the first half of them. Every commandment from the Old Testament that deals with the vertical relationship with us and God, it's answered with this, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Then Jesus goes on. He says, the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. This covers that whole second category of all the other All the other commandments from the Old Testament are answered this way. Love your neighbor as yourself. Then Jesus says, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. And they do. Every single commandment from the Old Testament falls into one of these two categories. Jesus takes thousands of years of religious history, writing, and debate, and sums it up in just two commands. Love God love others. Love God, love others. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? So if you are into that where you're trying to put something up on your wall, it just makes it so easy. Love God, love others. Now this conversation is recorded in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Same outcome in each one of those ones. Love God, love others. Love God, love others. Love God, love others. It's obviously an important moment for the disciples. But there's another gospel, the gospel of John. And John doesn't record this exchange with the religious leaders. Instead, in John's gospel, there is this beautiful multi-chapter conversation that Jesus has with his disciples, which begins with Jesus washing the feet of his disciples— this whole conversation, see, when you read uh, John chapters 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17, which is all just one long conversation, you have to recognize how it starts. It starts with Jesus getting down on his knees and washing the feet of his disciples. is that amazing? Now, we don't understand that here, but it's like, it's the, it's the job of a servant, It's the job that the lowest servant would do in the household, would wash the crud off of the feet of the people coming in the door. And Jesus does that to his disciples. He gets down on his hands and knees, and he washes their feet. And then this is what he says in John chapter 13. Listen carefully. A new command I give you, love one another. Remember, he just washed their feet. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. A new command I give you, Jesus says love one another. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we read about the religious leaders trying to trip up Jesus to, to find out how he's going to answer this question of what is the greatest commandment. And Jesus says, love God and love others. Here in John, Jesus is sitting with his disciples. God has just washed the feet of his disciples. God has just kneeled down washing the feet of his disciples and says, As I have loved you, love one another. During the same conversation, just two chapters later, so this is still the same conversation in John chapter 15, Jesus says, As the Father has loved me, so so have I loved you. So have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. The Father loved Jesus. Jesus loved the disciples. And now what is the command of Jesus? Well, here he says it. He spells it out clearly for us in verse 12. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. And just in case they didn't get it yet, five verses later, Jesus says, this is my command, love each other. Jesus says, love one another. Love each other as I have loved you. Love each other. Three times in the same conversation, Jesus says it. He lives it out, actionable, practical, by washing their feet. Love each other. In Matthew, love God. Love others. In Mark, love God. Love others. In Luke, love God. Love others. In John, love one another. Love each other as I have loved you. Love each other. These are the commands of Jesus. Do you think this loving thing her loving each other thing is important to him. Now let's go back to the Great Commission. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And what is Jesus commanded? Love God, love others. Yesterday I officiated a wedding ceremony out in Hythe. And I read from the famous passage, 1 Corinthians 13, which for some reason we read at all the weddings. And I get it because weddings are about love and it's a fantastic passage to read at weddings. But it has nothing to do with weddings, but, except that there's love. And love is wonderful. It's great. But here's the passage. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. This is a fantastic passage. It's a fantastic passage even if you're not getting married wonderful. But we don't often back up. I, I, so, w- a, interesting story. When Pharaoh, my wife, was a little kid, if Pharaoh and her sister ever got into a disagreement, they had to memorize this First Corinthians 13 passage, which I think is a fantastic uh, punishment. It's wonderful. It's good. But we don't often back up and read the first part of this passage, because that passage I just read starts in verse 4. But if we back up to the beginning of the chapter, here's what starts off that chapter. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing." If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Listen, you can have the nicest church buildings. You can have the best theology and the best programs and the best traditions and the nicest pews or chairs and and the sweetest songs and the best greeters and the, the highest giving and the most sacrificial missionaries. You can have the kindest pastors and on and on and on. You could have the greatest church that ever existed. But if you have not love, you can be the most giving person and the hardest worker and and pray for everyone and serve everyone and give everything that you have away, even the shirt off your own back. But if you have not love, Jesus, can you sum it all up for us? Just tell us. If there was one thing, if there was one thing that we would be known for, if there was one thing that we would, could devote our life to, if there was one thing that, if we, if we only got one thing right, what would that one thing be? Back to our friend Casey Schultes, living in Georgia, going to college talking to his friend, who asks him, what does the WWJD bracelet stand for? It stands for, what would Jesus do? Well, what would Jesus do? Casey pondered that question for the next eight months. This was just a couple of years ago. He pondered that question for the next eight months until he and some friends came up with another bracelet to answer the question, what would Jesus do? Now I get it. We're making lots of bracelets, we just keep putting acronyms on bracelets. And some of you might be thinking right now, why don't we just do something other than make bracelets? But the bracelet is a symbolic reminder to do something. And for Casey and his crew, the reminder was their new bracelet, HWLF. HWLF. What would Jesus do? He would love first. He would love first. He would love first. Church, if we want to be like Jesus, we need to ask Jesus to help us to love like he loves. Man, I've got to tell you, the church has not shown up well in this last season. And I've been saddened, and I'm not talking specifically about our church, but I am talking about all of us together. I don't think we've shown up well in this last season. As terrible as this COVID season has been, there is an opportunity here for the church to show up like it's never shown up before in love. And I think we as the church have not shown up as well as we could have. But guess what? This doesn't have to be the end of our story. So how can we show up in this COVID opportunity with the love of Jesus? If we're going to be known for anything, we should probably be known for the thing that Jesus said we should be known for, right? This is how they will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Love God. Love each other. So if there's anything that we should be known for in this season, it should be love. I think first we need to love each other better. We need to love each other better. How can you love your fellow believer, your brother or sister in Christ, better? Have you wronged someone recently? Go and make it right. Have you acted poorly with them or held a grudge against them or responded harshly to them? Go be reconciled. And go even further than just making up. See how you can bless that other person. What can you do to bless somebody else? Maybe even see how you could bless someone who may have wronged you. Someone who you have a right to be offended against, how can you bless them? Maybe even see how you can bless someone who just is around, who might be going through a difficult season. How do we love our fellow Christ followers? Are there some in our midst who are hurting, lonely, or struggling? How can you love them well? Now, I... This series is meant to be incredibly practical, and so you're not allowed to leave the room today until you come up with some practical ways that you can do this, okay? So I want you to start thinking right now. I'm giving you a heads up, right? So we're going to be checking you on the way out. So someone's going to be back there with a little clipboard and writing down your practical way of loving. No, they're not going to do that. But please don't leave until you come up with some practical ways. So think of a person right now a fellow believer, who you can love today. Maybe you need to call them, to write them, or to visit someone to encourage them. Maybe you need to do some intentional and targeted acts of love towards other believers. Think about a way right now that you can specifically show love to someone specific today. So think of that right now. Who could you show the love of Jesus to who doesn't yet know Jesus? So it's not just supposed to be loving the people in this room. How are you loving your neighbors? Think about a way that you can start loving someone outside today, one of your neighbors. Can you call, write, or visit a neighbor or a family member who needs to experience the love of Jesus? Could you shovel your neighbor's driveway? That would be a major act of love. Anybody wanting to love me today, come on over. It would be fantastic. I'll come out with you. We'll do it together. Drop off some baking. Hold the door open for someone at a store. Smile with your eyes. You know how you do that. Can you practice some intentional and targeted acts of love towards someone specifically today and in this week? We're doing this as a church. We are starting in this new year to give a financial gift each month to the St. Lawrence Drop In Center and to Rising Above Residential Treatment Program in Grand Prairie, we're wanting to specifically target places where we can show the love of Jesus. Perhaps you can join us in giving to those two ministries, both the St. Lawrence Drop-In Center and the Rising Above Residential Treatment Program in Grand Prairie. Or maybe you have another place where you can serve or give to or to show, show them some support so they can see the love of Jesus. You know what shows the love of Jesus more than anything else? When you show up to a place and say, Hey, you guys are doing a good work. How can I help? What can you do to love those around you like Jesus loves them? So grab your phone. You guys probably all have phones in your pockets. Grab your phone. If you don't have a phone, grab a piece of paper and a pen. And I want you to write it down. What are you going to do to practically love people intentionally? How are you going to do it? So right now, grab your phones. You guys are all looking at me like you, like I'm, being, I'm pretending. Grab your phones. Open your memo section up. Type a little mo- memo to myself. I'm going to go talk to Brad and I'm going to give him a hug because Brad's here this morning. It's fantastic. Okay? I'm going to give him a hug and tell him I love him. That's what I'm going to do today. Okay? Something. Write something down. Someone and something that you're going to practically show the love of Jesus to. So we're going to as you're doing that, our worship team's going to come back up again. So finish that off quickly. Type something out. Think something. Write it down. What are you going to do to love those around you like Jesus loves them? And once you've typed that out or written that down, I want you to stand up and join me in this closing song and then I'll come up for a benediction. So remember we're seeking in this series to be like Jesus. We're asking the question, what did Jesus do? And what real, intentionable, intentional, and actionable difference does that make in how you live your life today? Jesus loved, and he commanded us to love. So what difference will that make for you today? Who are you going to love today? So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful that you first loved us. God, you loved us. We were created out of your love, and you sent Jesus because you loved us so much. And now, Jesus, you've called us to love. And so I just declare over your people right now a fresh feeling of your Holy Spirit that we can love like you love that we can see the world the way that you see the world and love the world well. So Spirit, come. Strengthen us and encourage us to love, uh, love others well, to love you and to love others well. So God, we thank you for your goodness and your kindness to us. Help us this week to remember What would you do, Jesus? You would love first. We love you, Jesus, and we thank you. And we pray these things in your powerful name. Amen. 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 Thank you for listening to our podcast today. If you would like more information about us or find out ways to contact us, visit our website at www.beaverlodgealliancechurch.com. We pray today that you would experience the love, presence, and power of Jesus Christ and then make him known.